Uh, we're going to get started with uh, look at Matthew 24, and um, while those are everybody else is still coming in, we're going to go Matthew 24:35 in a moment. Um, one of the things that um, one of the things that I feel that is is really important is that I cover what you want. So Pastor Ken covered my back a little bit because I was going to do that right away and I and I forgot to. And uh, so that being said, I need somebody to take notes. Is it Jan? Jane, you don't do notes? You take notes? Okay, all that I need is you to write down for me the questions that people want to make sure are answered. So in other words, as you come into this conference, did you have something you say, I really wanted to know about or to learn about that you have questions in your personal studies like, here's a question that I have uh, all the time, and we're going to cover this at some point. Can people who heard the gospel before the rapture get saved after the rapture then? And most people say, well, of course not. And the text that they use, Second Thessalonians 2, the phrase that they use doesn't say that. So I want to show you biblically by... And I'll make a couple other comments why I believe they can get saved. So I'm going to talk about that out of 2 Thessalonians 2. And I'll prove, now you may not agree with me, and that's okay. That's what makes the world go around. But that text where God says, I'm going to send a strong delusion that they believe a lie, is not talking about the church age. He, he's in the middle of the tribulation. So who would God send a strong delusion to during the tribulation that they would, even though they heard the gospel, they wouldn't be able to get saved? The answer is everybody that takes this mark on their forehead and hand, they can't get saved after that. They are sealed, done. They are going to hell. There's no pass and go. And so that's what I see that that's after the Antichrist is on the scene. So that is all about future, not church age. Secondly, the character of God is grace and truth and love. I don't know why, but I hear some Christians and some teachers almost approach God's view of the world as though he wants people to, to go to hell doing everything you can to keep people out of hell. It's a narrow way. You know, you can't get there hardly. Very few are going to get there. And it's like, this is the way I want it. When I say the character of God is, God's a love the world. He's a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I think God's active in trying to get people into heaven, not keep people out of heaven. Yes, that's it. Waiting for man. Right on. That's it. And that's, that's yeah. And, and so that's, I'll, you know, there's, there's questions like that. I'll give you my two sets. Do you have other questions, though, that you hope that we cover? Anybody? And it's okay if you don't? Yeah. But where's America? Can you write that down? Where is America in prophecy? I only have one little wee little smidgen on that one. And it's very, very brief. Anybody else? Anybody any questions? All righty. Um, in Matthew, and the reason I wanted you to go to this in Matthew 24, um, is it okay if I get you all to help out with reading so that I don't do all the talking and stuff? Uh, you, can you get to Matthew 24, 35? Would you mind reading that for us? Because I know there might be lots of versions and stuff, so um, I just want to make sure that uh, you're all following. Uh, just that verse. Okay, so this is a prophecy. What did Jesus just prophesy? Yeah, how? Okay, do you think that's going to happen? He said it is going to happen. But he also says all these words that I just gave, the word of God is going to happen. Everything to the crossing of every T and the dotting of every I Everything that Jesus said and the Word of God says in prophecy, it will happen. And that's why our job is to take all of these prophecies and say, and where does that fit? It's going to happen, but when and where? 
So it's going to happen. And is it trib time or is it millennial reign time or where is it? So that's a little bit of, of what our job is. So what Jesus said there is the same thing that Peter says in 2 Peter 3, that the elements are going to burn up with a fervent heat. Then you go to Revelation and you actually find out when it's going to happen. It's the end of the millennial reign. That's when Jesus said, this all is going to be done. It's going to pass away. And that's going to happen in Revelation 20. Matthew 24 gives you Revelation 20. And it's going to happen someday. It will happen. And that's what I believe is that, you know, the um, question of why do we study last days? I already mentioned it does cause us to live for the Lord, knowing he could return today. And that's definitely something. But it also builds a faith, I believe, inside of us and a blessing because the revelation is those who read it, hear it, are a blessed people, God says. We are called to understand this. Now, we have to understand we're more worried about tribulation, though. And we're not even here. You know what I mean? It's like, we're not even part of all of that. But it is just so cool to study out. And it is. And I think there's also because these precursors of things that are happening before rapture that we're seeing these last days unfolding that makes us really interested in it because it's like we can see the temple. We can see what Russia is going. We can see all these things. It's like it's connecting dots for us. So that's why we like to, to read and to, uh, to study these things out. So almost 27% of the Bible is prophecy. It's like 26 point some percent. A certain portion of that has already been fulfilled. Like a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child. Well, that was the first coming of Jesus. That's already happened. But then he says, and his government shall have no end. He is the prince of peace. He is the, he is the uh, Messiah that's prophesied about, that's going to be returning until Shiloh comes. All these prophecies that you go even in Genesis and you'll see prophecies about the Messiah. You know the first prophecy of Jesus in the scriptures? Genesis 3.15. Right after the fall, God says, okay, woman, you are going to be now delivering children in pain. And he, this one is going to come from you, is going to crush the head of Satan. And that was done through the cross and the resurrection. And so, so ultimately then, he says there is going to be, now follow me, a salvation that is going to come to you as a result of bringing a child. And that's what I think he means when she shall be saved or delivered in childbearing. I think it's a reference to a spiritual salvation as a result of the Messiah coming from woman. Yay for ladies! And <laughs> we need you. It's a good thing. God uses you ladies all through the Bible in incredible ways. Uh, anyway, so, so yeah. So uh, I was talking to, um, is Bill? Mike, I was close. So I was talking to Mike. <laughs> Before and uh, you know, and he was saying, "Yeah, I'm reading, uh, doing some studies in Jude, and how you got to understand Jude to get the revelation." And I say, and that's awesome, and it's true. Um, the book that I want you to read the most in light of prophecy, you ready for it? Genesis. You say, can't go to Genesis. That's where it all began. Let me show you a real. This is big picture. Remember, we're talking big picture. So I'm giving you biblical content, even though we're not looking all of these scriptures up. Hopefully, you're familiar with them. So back in Genesis, in chapter number five, we have this old line of guys that are getting born, Methuselah, you know, and Enoch, and all these guys that are born. And then chapter six comes the evidence of a flood that's going to be needed and the destruction of everything. Okay? So isn't it interesting that it tells about this guy who's just walking with God, just minding his own business, having a wonderful time with the Lord. And God says, you know what? You're walking with me. How be I just snatch you away and bring you up into heaven? Rapture. Well, why? Why would God put that there? And that's all it said. Well, there's some other verses in the New Testament that talks about his preaching. Stuff, but that's pretty much it. He's snatched away. 
And then we got these other guys come on to see him, Methuselah, etc. And then after he's gone, it's going to come, is what his name means. And so Noah comes on the scene. And Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he's a preacher of righteousness for how long? 120 years. He's preaching away. Peter talks about that. So he's building this ark. And then this ark, when the floods come, the ark is lifted up. Eight souls are saved. And then the rest of the world is wiped out. And then he comes back to the earth. And he inherits the earth. Him and his family. We win. Okay. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, as in the days of... Ooh. So Jesus goes back to Genesis to explain his second coming. So... He says, two are going to be in a field, one's going to be taken, and one is going to be left. Well, let me ask you a question. In the days of Noah, would you rather have been left or taken? Taken meant you got killed by God, and he wiped you out, and you don't get to inherit the earth. To be left meant you won. Noah won. The rest were wiped out, taken out. As in the days, Luke 17, he says, as in the days of Lot. Where's Lot at? Oh, book of Genesis again. So he goes back to Genesis 19 area, and he says, remember what it was like? They're marrying and everything's going just fine. And then all of a sudden, God says, judgment time. And this small group, Lot and his family, leave and then God destroys. That's second coming talk. When Jesus comes back, he's coming to destroy, wipe out, to start brand new. Now follow me with the remnant, the small amount. So Noah is a picture of the believers, especially the Jews, that believed in the Messiah and then inherited, will inherit the earth someday. Same thing with Lot. Lot, the few believe, and then the rest are wiped out, and the few are the ones that end up inheriting then the earth and can live. So there's the correlation. So the the picture is someone is snatched away. Enoch is a picture of us. Never died. Never will die. Isn't that cool to think? Whoever's alive when Jesus returns will never die. They'll never taste death. Perfect miracle. And that's the hope. And so, sure enough, um, he's taken away. And then after that comes the judgment of God. After Enoch's taken away. That's when God starts bringing in the tribulation and the wiping out and all the wrath that's going to be coming from God to separate the sheep and the goats. See the pattern? That's the same pattern that you see all through the Bible is taken away, the believers, the church age, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, Colossians 3, should I continue on? All of these verses that deal with our hope, we're out of here and we're not going to even taste death if you're alive when Jesus comes back. Yeah, you have a question? No. Anybody have any questions so far? Okay, Genesis is a biggie to get down this whole thing. And there's other illustrations through Genesis that uh, teach the same thing. Okay, next we are on page three, and we are going to give you terms. I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness one day, and he said, yep, you got to be saved. And I said, define saved. A JW's definition of saved means you work hard enough You do enough literature, enough mission trips and everything. And then hopefully you're going to be good enough to be one of the 144,000 that you will then be able to be on earth as a king. Thank you. Jive me, not so. Is that better? It will be. It will be. That's going to help you, isn't it? There you go. Now you might be able to take me back a little bit now that it's secure. Um, 
Yeah, so, I, so his definition of saved was to be one of the 144,000 or to live good enough that you can at least live in, on the earth. And, and I asked him the one time, um, them and also the Mormons, as they get talking about the religion, after a while, they stopped talking about Jesus. Jesus is not the key. He's not the preeminent one in the religion as we in Christianity have him as the preeminent one. And so I asked the Mormon one time, I said, you know, you've gone through, you talked about Jesus at the beginning and everything, and now you talk about a new revelation of Jesus Christ when he came to this earth and talked to the Americans and, you know, more, you know the Moroni comes and, and all this stuff. I said, what happened to Jesus? And it's not about him. Their salvation in definition is different. So to me, having definition to terms is the key to understanding. Because if I say the second coming, well, what do you mean by that? See what I'm saying? We might say, well, I've, there's three definitions, by the way. Second coming to some are rapture. Some people, second coming is Jesus come back to earth. And some people define second coming as everything. It's just all inclusive. <laughs> so we have basically a few different ways. So we have to understand when I say second coming, what do I mean? So, by the way, any pastor coming in or teacher, if, if he references second coming, don't get, don't get annoyed. Just wait to hear what he talks about. And then he'll define, most likely, as he goes on and talks, um, where, is he, where is he going to with this. So when I deal with second coming, myself, I'm talking about second coming back to earth for the kingdom. Uh, rapture, or I call it resurrection more these days, the resurrection for the church is over here, and that would be first. So eschatology, we're going to go through these quickly. Study of the last days. That's basically what the term uh, L-O-G-Y at the end of anything means the study of something, right? So last, last study, last days, study of it. Rapture, literally a catching up based on Latin word uh, seen in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. It refers to the catching up or snatching away of the Christians living on the earth at the coming of Christ, an event immediately preceded by the resurrection of Christians who have already died. Now, next session, we're going to get into more on rapture talk, okay? Second, or the next one is judgment seat of Christ. That's a term. In other words, is the judgment seat of Christ the same as the great white throne judgment? So we have to have definition. So if you just say the judgment of God, I would say, well, which one are you talking about? So we have to have definition to what we're talking about. So we will use the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers only, Period. No non-believers will be at this one because this is where we get judged for our works, the church age. The judgment will occur immediately after the resurrection. The saints will receive the reward for the works that they have done for Christ. Last days. We talked about that earlier. Biblical term is used in Joel 2 and Acts 2. Describe an extended period of time which God reveals the world's spiritual condition before the resurrection of the church until the new heaven and new earth. Now, that being said, if you go over to page 5, at the very top, you will see an abridged version of last days. Ken has the extended version of what we talk about on last days. So each word needs to be defined. So he talks about... Um, uh, and, and he says perilous times or troublesome times are going to be coming. Well, he's addressing the church there. He's saying we're in the last days and things are going to get worse and worse and worse on this, in this world as we get closer to Jesus coming. Okay, yes, sir. <laughs> the right on. Yep, it would all be inclusive. So the last days is a big, broad term defining all of the above. Tribulation. This is seven-year time, which God will pour out his wrath on the earth by the opening of the seven seals. These seven seals are biblically divided into three and eight, first three and a half years, second three and a half. The second half begins at the end, and Christ enters into the temple and desecrates it by proclaiming he is God and making the sacrifices cease. That's what we talked about the last hour, right? And you all have that mastered now. Good. Great tribulation. Absolutely right. Right on the money. Apostasy. 
This is a spiritual falling away that is a rebellion description described in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Antichrist is part of all of this great apostasy. The false messiah, energized by Satan, who will arise in opposition to God, Christianity, and Israel just prior to Christ's coming. That will be second coming down to this earth. So the apostasy is a falling away. Now, now I do want to teach you something here. Because I have Christians that really are not clear on what does apostasy mean. Apostasy means a falling away from truth. A true believer cannot apostatize. Can't. These are people that are religious, that know about it, and then they deny and go away from Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6, if you want to study that out in light of apostasy... Hebrews 6 says, oh, they were around it, they tasted it, they saw it, they smelled it, you know, they were part of it all, and then they left it all. Like Judas Iscariot. He was around Jesus for three and a half years. Did he not get the memo? And yet, he left. Because he was never a believer. Oftentimes it would say, the one who would be betraying Jesus. Jesus knew what he was going to be doing. Even Jesus had a Judas. By the way, pastors and ministers, uh, you'll always have a Judas in your midst. There's always going to be somebody that has a hidden agenda. They'll want to take over, make it all about them. They're in it for the money. They're in it for all the wrong reasons. Every, every, you know, just so we got to get used to that one. Um, Day of the Lord, big one. This is a future period of time which God will pour out his wrath on the world in order to destroy the lost and preserve the true believers. Isaiah 13. Let's look at this one. Look at the Old Testament. So we have a definition of last the day of the Lord. So Isaiah. Now I'm going to give you another one too that I was actually studying out this morning that I forgot about. Isaiah 13.6. Uh, can somebody read that one for us? Anybody got that one? You, you. Does that sound like rapture? Mm-mm. When Jesus comes in the air, his no hundred pound hail ball is going to be hitting everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> There's no foot hitting, you know, Mount of Olives. Huh? Over in the book of Amos, um, he brings up uh, another uh, concept of, about it. So, and uh, Amos, and it's um, chapter 5 and verse 18. So Amos 5.18, I can't find it, I'm not that good, so if anybody wants to find that and read it, I'm just kidding. Who's got that? Anybody got that one? Uh-huh. So the day of the Lord is all about catastrophe, destruction. Rapture has nothing to do with catastrophe. It's about a marriage. We're beautifully taken up to be with Jesus. It's, a, it's actually all about celebration. Day of the Lord? Uh-uh. Day of the Lord has a twofold purpose. To destroy lost, but to save the righteous. So the flood was, now follow me, the same water that wiped out the earth, the same water lifted Noah and his family up and saved them. But it was a destructing uh, uh, event on the earth. Yeah, but it's still saved. Even though that hail came down to Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family saved. So that's the concept of the day of the Lord. Armageddon. Armageddon occurs only in Revelation 16. Um, the place where the battle of the great day of God Almighty, Revelation 16. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Paul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that is literally what you see um, during that time period is a rebellion spiritually against God during the trip. Matter of fact, if you remember, if you've read the Revelation lately, remember how all these plagues and everything are coming down? And it tells us that they blasphemed the God of heaven. It's almost like he's the bad God that's causing all this stuff to happen. And all they needed to do is repent and believe 
and they would have had the blessings from that same God. And so spiritually darkened. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In whom the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of those that do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Satan is trying to do this to everybody, and Christ is trying to give them light so that they understand the truth and who Jesus Christ really, really is. So the Armageddon, and I'll show you a picture when I get that bit, that up. Um, uh, there's a aerial view of, of uh, this ridge called Megiddo. And this is over the Jezreel Valley. I'll show you a picture of that. And that's where Armageddon, all these battles, this big battle is uh, going to be taking place. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yep. Absolutely right. Yeah, matter of fact, they're going to be dying when the blood's just going to be flowing right down. They're going to be killed on these Horeb and uh, Mount Carmel. Remember where Elijah was at? Uh, that mound is right there also, overlooking the whole valley. And so, yeah. You can get 200 million people, 200 million soldiers in Well, the thing is, they're going to be coming in in groves. And they're going to die. And then more people are going to be coming in, trampling over the dead bodies and everything. It's just a continual battle and blood and bullets and, yeah, just just hundreds of thousands of people, uh, no doubt, getting killed. And that's why it says, um, it's picturesque of when a, when a horse will be driving, ridden through it, that blood is so deep that when it's running, the blood is going to splatter the whole way up to the bridle of the, of the horse. It's just going to be, sorry, ladies. But uh, that's that's just the, tr- the graphic part of it all. Yes. Yep. Um, so we'll show you that then. Um, it's properly the means uh, means the Mount of Megiddo on the top of page four. And it's the scene of the final uh, conflict between Christ and the Antichrist. Then we have second coming. Second coming, the return of Christ to the earth, and is uh, differentiated from his first coming in humiliation. Christ will return in bodily form to destroy his enemies and establish his millennial reign. Acts 1, Matthew 24, and there's a host of other scriptures that you could go to. Abomination that causes desolation. We've talked about this. Here's a little more definition for it, though. Abomination is something hateful and disgusting. So abomination. Then to desolate is to ruin or to lay waste. So the Antichrist is going to be disgustingly going into the Holy of Holies and ruining it and wasting it as he says, I'm God. Biblical event will happen when the Antichrist declares himself to be God in the temple of God in Jerusalem. It is prophesied to occur in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, Daniel 9.27. Jesus also talked about this, about his second coming back to this earth in Matthew 24.15. Antichrist. Antichrist, the world leader who will rise to power out of the fourth beast kingdom as prophesied in Daniel 7. He will confirm a covenant or agreement with Israel. And then after three and a half years, he will put to stop the sacrifice, the offering in the third temple when he declares himself to be God. And during the great tribulation, that's the second half, he will, be, he will receive power from Satan as he deceives the world and attempts to destroy the people of God. False prophet. He is a member of the unholy trinity. Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. You can see that in Revelation 16.3. Now pause right there. Sunday morning, Lord Willem, we're going to talk about Satan's agenda. And in his agenda, you're going to see that Satan has no imagination at all. All that he does is imitates God. So he's even going to say, I got my own trinity. So we have Father, mind, spirit, internal, and the Son, the physical. So guess what we see here? Satan, the dragon, is the picture of the Father, who's the head, who empowers the rest, And then we have the uh, Antichrist. That will be the same as Jesus, 
the physical, on earth, and then we have the false prophet that is doing miracles and all these things through the, his power. And it's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does. In remember, when we teach, it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. So there's a connection of the false prophet is going to be like that picture of the Holy Spirit. See, he has his own unholy trinity. And by the way, he imitates the, the Messiah by dying and rising again. He has no imagination at all. Everything that God does, he's going to do it crazy he wants to rule the world exactly right that's it he just counterfeit so he's going to deceive also through miracles signs of miracles second thessalonians gets into we'll get into that text later on so then we have um, daniel's 70th week so this is the tribulation this is a non-biblical term um, but he does use um uh, other phrases that means the same thing in the scriptures. And it refers to the last seven years of Daniel's 490-year prophecy. The date, 483, years of the 490 years have been completely fulfilled. One seven-year period is still outstanding and will be fulfilled during the end times. The seven-year period begins when the covenant is confirmed with Israel by the Antichrist in Daniel in chapter number 9. So this is free. Remember when Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And what did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. Just throw a number out there. Or do you think Jesus threw a number out there on purpose? Ooh. He does everything on purpose. So what's 70 times 7? Isn't that interesting? 490. Isn't that interesting? So now we're going to go back to the Old Testament. And we're going to start finding out, okay, Israel, I've warned you, I've warned you. That's what the prophets are all about. You're going to go into captivity if you don't get away from this idolatry. And so sure enough, they don't repent. And the south, Judah, goes into captivity by Babylon last. Does anybody know how long they went into captivity and why? For 490 years, Israel refused to keep the Sabbath. Every seventh year, you give the land rest. The sixth year, you, you plant. And year seven, you rest and you trust me that I'm going to provide for you. And they wouldn't believe God. And they wouldn't give the land rest. So God says, fine. So for 490 years, you haven't given the land rest. It's going to get its rest now because you're going to jail. And you are going to be in captivity for 70 years because that's how many Sabbaths they should have kept. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, still making money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you tie into that the year of Jubilee. You know, that's not been, you know, I mean, that was just not long. So I've had three different people say it was three different years. So I got to do some research on that one because somebody said, oh, we're in a year of Jubilee. And then I had Andy Ferrier at our church two years ago. And he said, oh, it's a year of Jubilee. And then somebody else said it was two years. So I don't know which one it is. But anyways, um, we, we, we definitely see all of this that they would not fulfill. So that's why God says 490 years, this is a key with generations that God finally says, I'm done. So he have this next future, 490 years, it has to be fulfilled. And the last seven haven't happened yet. And it will right before Jesus comes back to this earth to take over the kingdom. Ah. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. And we would call it hypocrisy. Yeah. And that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You say, don't do this, and then you do the opposite. You know, or you say, do this, and then you won't give one finger to help out. That's interesting, guys. We're moving the pulpit. 
I did it on purpose. I said, oh, let me help you guys. I walked over like this with my fingers. Like, let me help you guys, you know. And that's what the Pharisees would do. You do the burden. You do all the work, you know, because we're elite and we're too good to do it also. Yeah. Um, millennial reign. 1,000-year period during which Christ will reign on the earth his second, uh, after his second coming, during which Satan will be bound, according to Revelation 20. The great white throne judgment is last um, here. The, this is the final judgment of all lost people. All. From Cain in Genesis 4, the whole way through to the end of a millennial reign. Every lost person, great, small, those in hell are going to be resurrected to go to it. Every lost person will be there. And this will be their final judgment, again, based on their works. This will take place after the thousand-year earthly reign of Christ. Great white throne judgment is the judgment of unbelievers. All who stand before Jesus Christ at this judgment will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. I actually have an addition to that, and that would be after that. Uh, anybody know the first phrase in Revelation 21? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Because the former passed away, no more sea. All this land is going to be able to be inhabited. So two-thirds of, of the earth are sea, not then. And there's going to be ability. Everything is going to be fertile. Everything is going to grow. It's going to be an absolute blessing for all those that live on the earth during that time period. Every desert is going to be tillable and be able to be flourishing and be blessed can you imagine? I don't even know how much of the earth we right now with what, how many billion we at now? Seven point something. And we haven't even touched this portion of the land, let alone the sea and the mountains and, and deserts, etc. So God's going to be blessing. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting. What time is it? 4, 1122. 1122. So I got to 11.45. Oh, I'm doing really good. I'm so proud of me. And so it's really neat. I got a picture of the Dead Sea. I don't know if uh, Gary took off, but uh, I'm sure they went to the Dead Sea. I mean, it's brutal. Your desert, you know, it's the lowest part of the whole earth, you know. It's just nothing grows there. So we, you get down there, and the water is so full of salt, A, nothing can live in it. No fish, nothing's living in there. And, you you know, you, I have a picture of people laying in the water, and they're just... This is float because of the minerals in the water and everything. You know, God says during millennial rain, the red, the, the the Dead Sea is going to be just like the Mediterranean. It's going to actually be able to flourish during that time period. He's going to heal the earth because it's a picture of the curse. Isaiah fifty-five. You haven't gotten there yet. I know you're going through Isaiah. He talks about how the thorns and the thistles, everything that represents the curse, are going to be lifted. And we're going to go, we shall go out with joy. Remember that phrase? We have that song that talks about that. That's all beautiful about the millennial reign. When Jesus comes, the curse is lifted. It's going to be really awesome. Yeah. 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 That's during the millennial reign. The end of the millennial reign, all the elements are going to be burned up. And that's when the new heaven and new earth will be, will be brought. So, and in my notes, you'll see later on, the one who created everything in Genesis is going to destroy by the word of his mouth, again, the sword coming out, and then he's going to literally create everything all over again. Just like that. I'm going to bring up one opposing thing, and that's okay. If you disagree with me, it's okay. I love you. I love you. Just remember, I love you. I'm not a gapper. Because I don't think it took millions of years for God to create the earth. I think it was six literal days. Because guess what he's going to do in Revelation 21? Let there be a new heaven and a new earth. Bam! (laughs) It's not going to take billions of years for God to make a new heaven and a new earth. No more than it would have taken him in the original uh, creation. It wasn't a renovation. um, And uh, it was just not done yet. It just wasn't inhabited uh, quite yet. Exodus actually talks about that. In the 20th chapter, we'll show you why I'm not a gapper. The law actually refers back to Genesis 1 account as the original creation. 
the, re, the creator that brought it all about. So, good questions. Yeah. Oh, no, just bring, it's all good. Yeah, when you look at Nimrod in Genesis 10, going into 11, Genesis 11 is where the first Babel or Babylon is talked about. And that's a picture, he is a picture of the Antichrist establishing a dynasty that will be forget God, we're going to make a name for ourselves and build it up. And that's the, the God of humanism. And it's also the, the, the concept of one. That if we, it, Proverbs talks about, if man, hand join in hand. It's like, if we would just all unite together, we can put God away. And God's like, no. It doesn't matter how many you put together, you're not going to beat me up. So that's the thought. We're going to join together and we're going to be one. What's well, interesting, and we're going to get into this next is during the tribulation time period, it's the same concept of Babel, that we are going to be united in one. There you go. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Amen. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there's this one. So what are the ones that you know of during the tribulation that the anti, that Satan through the Antichrist and a false prophet are going to try to establish. There are three of them, three areas that he is going to cr- try to create, just like that. One. Very good. So there's going to be a one-world government, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Since I'm ahead of myself here, there's also a one-world economy. So you get into the cash, the money. And then thirdly, there's going to be a one-world religion. Boy, give yourselves a hand. You did good. A lot of people have never connected all of these. Um, If I remember, you're going to go to the Revelation with me. And um, see if I can't find it real quickly while you're going there. I think it's in the 16th chapter, if I remember. Maybe not. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, it's actually chapter 18. Go to Revelation 18 with me. And this is when God is describing how Babel, or Babylon, is going to be falling. So Babylon is the last Gentile empire that will be on the earth. It's the end of the time of the Gentiles. Because Jesus is going to come back, and the Jews are going to be on the throne again. They're going to be the nation of, of interest. So... Babylon in verse 2, um, he cries out with a, a strong voice saying, Babylon the great's fallen, it's fallen. Repeating it like this is amazing that this happened. Can somebody read verses 3 and 4 for me? Anybody got that? So Re- Revelation 18, 3 and 4. Very good. Thank you. So, when you see the word fornication, we understand that what that means is as intimacy in, within the revelation uh, that this woman, who is the religious system, Babylon, is going to cause all to be part of her religious system. That's why she's on top of the beast. Remember, she's all part of that. And so Babylon is known as the mother of harlots. And she has, first of all, to do with the religious system of that day. Now, this is free too. Next time you go through the book of Proverbs, remember it talks about the wise man and the foolish man. He talks about the virtuous woman and then the prostitute. The woman, the prostitute, Babylon, the woman, is causing all the nations to go into bed with her. If you look at Proverbs, 
And you see in chapters 5, 7, other places that it talks about the prostitute, he actually describes exactly how this time period she's going to cause the nations to come into her religiously. It says about, oh, come on in. The good guy's gone. We got all night. I've decked my beds out. Got all this money. Everything's just perfect. The perfumes are there. It talks about the smoothness of her speech is like honey to lure this fool right into bed with her. So it's the thought of all the nations are going to be coming together with her. So he says this is a spiritual fornication that the nations are going to be part of this religious system that is going to be started out. So then we have the ten horns. We will call it the confederacy. This is the ten horns or powers that are going to be during that time period in the trip. The ten horns, this is, you know, agree with me or not, but if, if you would think of the UN right now, how many are part of the UN? Too many? It's right around 10 if I remember the last time. It's already in that, in that vicinity. It might be nine, but it's in that same. So we have leaders that are part of the UN. Are they, are they presidents or kings over a specific country? The answer is no. They're over regions. You follow me? So the Confederacy is kind of like our, it's like us, it's like the UN on steroids. These guys are powerhouses that are controlling this one world government. There you go. There you go. So everything is going to run through this. this. Now, Brother Gary was saying, where do you see America in prophecy? I don't. There is one thought that I've just come up with last week, two weeks ago. Where's the UN at now? Here. New York. Sorry. But it's here. The UN is right here. So all the nations hopknob right here in New York. Isn't that interesting? One of three things I think is going to happen. Sorry, Gary. Is he out here? Yeah, he's out there. I'm giving his answer. He's not going to listen to it. Um, you're writing it down so one of a few things is going to happen with America it's really hard to find a verse one is how people just stretch the Bible well there's going to be wings that are going to be carrying Israel out of Jerusalem and taking her down to Petra to protect her and that's America because it has wings uh, that doesn't mean that's America protecting. God's going to protect Israel um, but um, so either one of a few things are going to happen either don't get late. Ladies, don't get upset. Okay? But it is still very possible, even though we think we are a dynasty that will never crumble, we could be bombed from the outside and we could be destroyed. You realize nuke, if we are nuked, it's just a matter of decades until that country could take over this land. So we could all be blown up. That's number one. Uh, number two is China calls in its money. And they say, we own you. Because you owe us so much. So they could actually call in the debt and we could actually be taken over by another country. Thirdly, we join in with one of these other, like Europe, the UN, and we merge together with one of them. We're in it somehow. So those are my three things. So either we are wiped out and nuked and somebody else can take over then, or, and that can happen. Or B, um, China calls in its debt and says, we own you. So there, we could be literally taken over because of finances, because of our trillions and trillions of dollars of debt. Or thirdly, we, and this is the one I feel is going to happen, is that we are going to compromise and merge with another uh, part of the UN, and that's what I feel is going to happen. So we're compromising left and right on our president. I have a couple things to say about that guy. Um, whether you like him or not, he's done some really pretty bold things for Israel. 
And so we can see definitely some things that are that are happening that I feel is going to be more. I feel it's going to be more of emerging. And we don't. I cannot find. I cannot find America in these prophecies. Some have said the eagle, but that goes back to Rome and the more of the Babylonian um, empire. So that's the eagle that's talked about in the prophets. I don't think that's us, even though we have that as our emblem. That was also of Rome. So I hate to say I don't see us in Scripture, but I don't see us. Something is going to happen. Kenny, you had your hand first. It's kind of interesting in the other book on prophecy, uh, Ron Rhodes, Mm -hmm. he talks about how one bomb, just one, hitting any one of our seven grids can cause an EMP power outage across the United States. Yep, yep, just Just that quick. We remember, we're all old enough to remember what happened 911. Okay. Literally, I'm looking out, and there's not a plane in the sky. Everything is grounded, and we got hit, and we get hit hard. But, and we lost what three thousand some people. Um, can you imagine what one of these type of bombs? I hate to say New York is a target, but it is. Sorry, guys, it just is. But I'm not too far from Chicago, so if they hit New York, Chicago. They hit Dallas, very good, and then they got to hit the East Coast or the West Coast somehow. If they take those, we would be, we would be. Oh no, what are we going to do? We we would par- be paralyzed. Yeah, Paul. Uh, then you you believe then that the economic Babylon that's described in Revelation is not the United States. That's absolutely right. It would be part of, as he they describe, when she falls, all of these confederacies are looking and saying, oh man, she made us so rich. Look at all the prosperity that we had from her. Oh, it's down now, it's down. So we're, you know, it's all fallen. So what are we going to do? So it's a, yeah, so it's a, it's a slow economy that God is going to be breaking that she has been in control of. Absolutely. And that's who I bring up. Yep. The two million troops that Paul was talking about earlier uh, in chapter 13, I think, um, those two million troops, as they come in, some feel that that's China troops that are literally marching in and being part of that. So whether that's true or not, or that's demonic forces in number, um, there's debate on that one. But uh, yeah. So yeah, so I don't necessarily see us in prophecy. Um, I hate you say, well, that's really shallow. It's got to be in there somewhere. Well, one of those three things are going to happen. And and the and so our president, remember we were talking about the importance of Israel and prophecy. So you probably know this. I'm telling you something you already know. But in 1948, May 15th, Israel became a nation. At that point... It was the first time since 70 A.D. that they have had this. And now they're just coming in from Russia. Matter of fact, Ben Mills is a missionary we support. He's right on the Sea of Galilee. And their church is reaching Jews left and right. These are Jews coming down from Russia that have not been really established in Judaism. So they're opened up to the gospel. And now they keep the feasts because they're in Israel. So they don't want to be offensive to the Jews that are living there. So they keep the feast, but they're all about Jesus because all the feasts ultimately are about Christ. It's a picture of Christ. So it's beautiful. So, so he said there's tons of people getting saved, and it's a really good thing. So 1948, they become a nation, and they're there. They, they are a sovereign nation now. But up to this point... They've not allowed to have Israel as their capital. Excuse me, Jerusalem as their capital. Until Trump comes on the scene. If you haven't read this, all of the presidents for the last what, 20 years have said, yep, we're gonna, yeah, we need to think about that. Yep, we should probably do that. And they would never do anything. Why? It's, it's divisive. Man, you're gonna you're gonna become an enemy really really quick if you do this. So Trump, in the first year, he says, "Hey, we're gonna move it. We're gonna move our our embassy from Tel Aviv, 
and we're going to put it right in Jerusalem. And he says, it's because it's the capital of Israel. Guess what date he's moving it? May 15. To commemorate when Israel became a nation. I think this guy doesn't know what he's doing. By the way, Pence, if you haven't studied him out, this guy is an incredible Christian man. Um, we have a former uh, congressman in our congregation who is constantly going to the White House. And he goes, I go all the time to uh, Vice President Pence's Bible studies that are done right in the White House. And this guy walks with God. And he's, we're actually getting a chaplain from Indianapolis, um, from our uh, state capitol, who is a chaplain. And he's going to be talking about what God is doing in the cap, our capital, and we always think, oh, they're a bunch of lost losers. There's some incredible Christians that are in government, and God says, I have placed them there, saved and unsaved for his role and what they're going to be doing in the future. So now the Muslims hate us more because we've given this credit, credibility to the nation of Israel. That's why when people say, oh, Israel isn't anything to do with prophecy. You better really open up your Bible, and you better start looking. Because when you look at what, why God placed her there, there was a reason. Okay, so God knew the earth. I got three minutes. So God knew the earth. He made it. Made continents, made everything. And he says, hmm, let's see, where am I going to put Israel? Why didn't he put her over here? You've been to Israel. You've been into that region. A lot of rocks. I mean, there's some beautiful, you know, fertile areas. There's some beauty there and stuff. But I can't, couldn't wait to come home. <laughs> you know, it's a whole lot prettier here than it is there. You go up to Dan, some of that area up there, it's really pretty up there, but eh, it's not. In that. Look at Ezekiel 5.5 5 with me. I'm going to do this in a really fast fashion. Ezekiel 5.5 5. Thus saith the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. That was Ezekiel 5.5. 5. Ezekiel 5.5. 5. So God says, when I'm choosing where I'm going to put Jerusalem, there's a reason I'm putting her there. If you want to go from um, China and you want to come down to Egypt, guess where you got to travel through? If you're going to come from Europe and you're going to go down to Egypt, guess where you got to go through? And by the way, Jezreel Valley is an intricate part of the crossroads because there's only so many paths to get south and north. You know why? It's all mountains. You got over by the Mediterranean, you have a flat there. But then you got the hill, the hills, they call them. And there's the, the Patriarch's Road on top. So you got that road. And then you got the Rift Valley, which is where the Salt Sea is, the Dead Sea. And you got to go whoop like that to get up to this. That you can get past that way. And then over there, on the other side, you got Transjordan. So now you got that as a very hard way to travel. So the best way to travel is right through the region where Jezreel Valley is and Jerusalem is at. God says, I'm going to put her right there because you know why everybody wants that land? That's why. It's like we call Indiana the crossroads of America, if you didn't know that. You know why? If you're going out west, you're probably going to be going through Indiana. We're known as the cross, a lot of churches are crossroads. You know, they call it crossroads, a lot of industries, because, well, guess what? God says, I'm going to put her right there because she's the crossroads. And she's there because all nations are supposed to come to her. Because God says, that's where I have put my name. You think of Jerusalem, you think of Jehovah. You think of God's people the one who delivered them from Egypt. 
delivered them from Babylon. Restored everything back. And that's why the forgiveness of 490 times or 490 years is because after the 70 years of captivity, what did God do for Israel? He restored her. He forgave her. Gave her back the land. Got to give new walls, new temple, and restored to her everything. God's about restoration. One day, he's going to restore Israel again because the Messiah is going to come back. By the way, who's the king of Israel now? Who has been the king of Israel since way back? Don't have one. They got ambassadors. They got really important people. Netanyahu got these important people. But they're waiting for the king, the Messiah, to come. And they don't even know it's Jesus. Zechariah tells us they will weep and fall on their knees, Israel, and cry at some point. Anybody know why? There it is. They will look on him whom they pierced. When Jesus Christ comes back, they're going to see him. They're going to like, he was the one. He's going to fall, they're going to fall down and they're going to worship the King of Kings and they're going to believe and they're going to be saved and Jesus is going to say, forgiven. I love you. Now let's do it right. That's ultimately God's job. What his agenda is, is to restore all things. God loves us. He loves this world. But sadly, the world keeps rejecting and saying no. And uses Jesus' name only as a curse word or a joke. And yet he is given a name above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee is going to bow. We got an awesome, awesome God. And if you say, I think the Bible is man-made. I'm a man. We're not smart enough to come up with all this stuff. This is God's word. And he's giving us the future. Okay. Um,